The land surface is warming faster than the global mean temperature and land-atmosphere interactions have become an area of increasing study, with the IPCC Special Report on Climate Change and Land focusing on this very topic. Given that land surface changes can have such a strong effect on the climate system, it's no wonder that afforestation has become increasingly popular as a mitigation strategy. But are there hidden consequences to afforestation? We're joined today by Priscilla Mooney, a climate modeler from Norse and an expert on land surfaces. Priscilla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Welcome once again to another Björkness podcast. Today we're discussing land surfaces and the complexities surrounding afforestation. I'm Stephen Alton, here with my colleague Ingil Pilskog. Good day. So when we talk about land cover, what we actually mean is sort of, is the land covered by, for example, forests or grasslands, desert, urban environment, agricultural land, etc. So why is land cover changing? Uh, land cover is uh, changing because it's coming under pressure from a lot of different areas. Uh, for example, the need for more food for a growing population and for the growing need for biofuels, for example. Um, and so these things are kind of maybe conflicting and competing with each other for the use uh, of the land surface, right? And they represent a major change to the land cover. So, for example, if you have uh, land cover that's currently forest, you may be under pressure to supply more food and you may cut it down and turn it into agricultural pasture or into croplands, for example. Uh, so these things are, uh, you know, forcing changes to the land surface. And of course, combined with all of this, we have the need to mitigate uh, climate change, for example, right? So that in itself is putting some pressure on the land cover and what we are doing to it. So, I mean, when we talk about pressures on sort of land cover, I suppose one of the really good, good and popularly cited examples is palm oil. Um, this makes up like 50% or is, is in 50% of all consumer products. It's 50% of the products on the supermarket shelves has this. Um, and it uses, a lot of it comes from uh, just two or three tropical countries such as Indonesia. And they clear huge areas of rainforest specifically to set up palm oil plantations. Right. And, and this is, is, a, is an issue, right? Because they are making major changes to the land cover which then has other consequences for the climate system, for the local biodiversity, for the ecosystems, uh, for the soil, etc. So uh, these are major changes with major consequences. Yeah. And when you, when you talk about sort of clearing an area of land, perhaps to use for agricultural purposes, some people might have the vision of like cutting down a copse of trees to make a field bigger or something. But in this case, for example, you're talking about millions of hectares, so this is sort of hundreds of thousands of square kilometers at a time of forest that is just being sort of cut down and then burned. And in actual fact, you can see the smoke plumes of this each year from space, and it's, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And this it is happening on such a large scale, right? So as you say, it's not like you're cutting down a few trees in the field next to you to expand your pastures or your croplands. It is major spaces that are being transformed into a completely new type of land cover and a new kind of land surface that has major consequences and this mm. is particularly happening in some places like indonesia as you say in brazil 
uh, in parts of Africa and stuff. But are these land areas then productive for a long period of time afterwards or are they used up in a sense? Yeah, so I mean that's a very good question because that kind of brings us back to the whole picture and looking at the whole thing together. What are the consequences for things like soil? Does that lead to soil degradation? And then, you know, can you continue to use these for the same plants, for the same crops, for etc. So when you do modify the land surface, it does have long-term consequences. And this is something that actually, particularly true with trees, for example, trees have very good roots, they keep soil in place. There have been places where large areas of trees have been cut down and what happens is you get heavy rains and then a lot of the soil starts washing away and they, they're starting to lose soil. And this is a serious issue as well. Right, because this is the good quality topsoil that you want, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. But conversely, there is the other argument that when you uh, convert some open spaces uh, into forests, for example, uh, that has an effect on the carbon that's stored in the soil, etc. So yeah. it works kind of both ways. Once you change the surface, it has a lot of knock-on effects. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think at this point, it might be useful just to give the listeners mm -hmm. a, a bit of a sense of how much area we're talking about here. So um, in terms of like ice-free land, so land which is sort of not Antarctica or very, very, very northern, um, about 1% of the world is covered by urban. Uh, it's about 12% cropland, 37% pastures or utilised savannas, 22% forests which are used for lumber or plantations. So that's all sort of human in some form or other. Um, apart from that, there's only actually about 16% of the land on the world which is forest or ecosystems with minimal human use and about 12% which is barren or rock. That's 28% of the planet is left where we're not cultivating it, using it in some way. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> so that's, yeah, these are, this is a serious problem when we talk about pressures. We have an idea of what's out there and the importance of it's changing. How fast is it changing? That's a very good question. I mean, some changes can happen very quickly, like deforestation, for example. That can happen very, very fast. But other changes, uh, like the opposite of that, which is afforestation, that can really take years to, to change. Yep. Right? Uh, so the changes are happening at different kind of speeds, really. In the last sort of two to 300 years, um, we've actually started using um, five to six times as much space for like cropland and farmland. I mean, in the 1700s, it was something like three to four million square kilometers for both cropland and farmland. And now it's more like 20 million square kilometers for crop and 30 million for grazing land. It's, so we've really had, the, the population explosion has really driven this, this need to sort of take over every patch of land on the planet. Absolutely, absolutely. This, this is very true. Over the centuries we have required more use or we have taken up more use. Maybe required is not the right word. We are not maybe as efficient as we were in the past in how we use the land yes. that we have. And this is certainly something we need to stop and reflect on. Mm. As we increase the pressure on the land surface, as we demand more from it, we need to stop and look at how we are using it right now and can we use what we have more efficiently. I seem to remember there was, in the IPCC special report on this, there was actually comment about how much food is actually wasted each year. And it's, it's I think it was bordering like 20 to 25% of the food and produce that's actually produced. 
is just wasted. Right, and that is shocking. That is, that is terrible when you think about how much land we're actually using for this and then a quarter of it or a fifth yeah. of it just. Coming back to climate change, um, sort of core focus of the Bjerknes Centre, uh, so how do the surface, land surface changes impact the climate? Uh, so there are two ways that the land surface really impacts the climate system. Um, they are biogeochemistry and biogeophysical kind of changes. Um, so the kind of more chemical side of this is the carbon cycle. So by changing the land surface, like say, uh, you know, deforestation, etc., that releases carbon into the atmosphere, right? So that's a, a chemical change that then happens. Yes. And then the other is a more physical change that happens, right? So uh, say, for example, if we, uh, I I mean we can stick with the case of deforestation, Right. If you deforest, you will change the properties of the of the surface. Right. In terms of albedo and leaf area index and all these kind of physical properties, which then have effects on the climate system, the local climate system usually. So you've talked about how uh, land changes impact the climate, but there are sort of other impacts beside from this because you mentioned like albedo changes. Right. So. How does that actually affect the climate specifically? Uh, yeah, so albedo um, really is an indication of how much radi radiation from the sun that the Earth's surface will absorb or reflect back to space, right? In a very simple, simple way. So when you change the albedo, you can enhance how much energy is absorbed at the surface and therefore increasing the surface temperature, right? And uh, so that's the kind of primary way, way that these changes can happen. So uh, in high latitude regions, like uh, here in Norway, for example, where we have snow cover, uh, we have a very high reflectance in those regions that is covered by snow. So that means less energy is absorbed and the temperatures don't maybe increase as much in areas that are not covered in snow. So this is sort of one example of these impacts, but we also have uh, decreased soil moisture when you change the land particularly, for example, in areas where we, we urbanise. A lot of cities nowadays are trying to create greener spaces. Right, right. So when we change the land surface into more urban concrete surface compared to, say, the neighbouring areas, which can be, you know, green fields or forests or etc., that, that's a big contrast in terms of what is happening. And so obviously this is part of the kind of motivation of greening the urban environment a little bit, right? You, so you sometimes see these roofs where you have green grass growing on them, etc. Um, and again, that's just to kind of minimize that effect that that happens, right? So when you turn in the urban areas, you can have warmer because the albedo is different there, right? And so more energy is absorbed, the city area is a little bit warmer uh, than the kind of neighboring space outside, yep. right? So by th th some of these measures are designed to counteract that albedo effect of urbanization. This is important for urban areas and for sort of Norway you mentioned the albedo effect of snow and such like but uh, if you go to more tropical regions uh, land use changes are causing a quite a different variety of problems particularly in dry arid areas you're getting uh, desertification of an area so you're actually losing what was fertile land as deserts expand and grow over time as a result of climate change so we've talked a little bit about the sort of uh, impacts of changing land and how it affects climate and how sort of climate is causing uh, change in land as well. Is it all bad news? 
can we deliberately change the land surface to help mitigate climate change? Yes, uh, we, we can for certain. Um, so this is kind of the motivation, I guess, behind afforestation, right? Uh, is that we can uh, plant trees which absorb carbon, which basically takes carbon from the atmosphere and, and hopefully reduces the issue of global warming, right? Um, but of course, this is not uh, you know, as straightforward as it sounds. It's a great idea, but there are complexities that need to be considered. And, you know, for example, uh, forests have different impacts depending on the kind of climate you're in right now, right? So if you compare the tropics to, say, the middle latitudes or the high latitudes, um, the effects can be quite different. So in the tropical regions, forests uh, can have a very uh, positive effect on the climate, can have a kind of a cooling effect on the local climate, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a benefit there. Um, but in the higher latitudes, it can actually have the opposite effect. It can have some warming locally. Um, so uh, there are these regional differences. So they, you know, we can, of course, use forests uh, and, and other sort of land use changes or land cover changes to mitigate climate change. But we need to consider carefully the nuances of these kind of changes that, that we can implement. As well as just uh, changing temperatures locally, they have uh, some other effects like the improved soil quality we've mentioned previously. Right. This is something we also get, uh, I've heard there was one study that spoke about how forests, particularly in the tropics, were actually triggering their own rain events because effectively the moisture isn't coming from the sea, from storms and such like, but the forest itself is large enough that it's giving off enough moisture to actually trigger its own rain events. So afforestation as a mitigation strategy is really popular. In actual fact though, it's not like it's just popped up in the last few years or anything. No, this idea has been around for quite a long time. And uh, yeah, there are certainly, I mean, in, in the EU, there is an active policy for a number of years now for afforestation to increase the land in Europe that is uh, covered in forests. Uh, so I think maybe the average in the EU is maybe about 35% of the EU right now, and they want to increase this uh, as it is. And Norway probably has about 33% or something as a, as a coverage. So they're kind of close to the European average. But this contrasts with other countries like the UK, for example, where coverage is maybe like 10% or something. Mm -hmm. And again, they have, you know, they have increased that from about just a few percent in the past couple of decades, uh, also trying to increase their, their forestry. I mean, for Norway, of course, this is, this is an old story and has been around quite a while. Uh, back in the late 1800s, Norway was using an awful lot of lumber and the government started sort of paying attention to this as a problem. And in 1919, they actually set forward an ambitious plan to assess all of the forests in Norway. And they've done this on a five-year rolling plan ever since. And it was the first time it was done in the, any European country at that stage. And in actual fact, in terms of reforestation, um, they have in the last hundred years tripled the amount of standing wood in this country, which is... That's a phenomenal change. It's a phenomenal change. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it really is. But there, again, so the issues of, you know, afforestation and reforestation and what's the purpose of the forestry. So there are, of course, economic benefits to forestry. So in some ways, you know, you could argue this is more of a competing land use versus, you know, this time going the other way. Um, so this as, yeah, uh, primarily the purpose nowadays for, for forestation is for climate mitigation. Mm. Um, but there are economic uh, consequences. 
but forests stand for climate mitigation. Uh, like, if you use the forest as a carbon sink and capture the uh, carbon, it doesn't really help if you are chopping down that forest in 30 to 50 years. Yes, I mean, this is correct. What is the life cycle of this carbon stored in these uh, areas, in forests, mm. right? So this is definitely a question. And certainly an argument to be very careful about planting forests in soils that are already very rich in carbon. Because when you do that, you're moving the carbon from one place into another, which will then be, you know, as you say, uh, changed in 30, 40 years time. Mm. But you mentioned there's a lot of sort of feedbacks and subtleties that need to be a pay, pay attention to. So for, for example, in Norway, one of the criticisms, or one of the concerns perhaps, has been the lack of biodiversity effectively planting large quantities of just the same types of trees rather than having the sort of natural widespread that you would have. So is biodiversity a, a big concern in this? Um, absolutely, I, I think rightly so. It, it, is, uh, it is a question that a lot of people ask, which approach is, uh, you know, do we actively plant trees uh, ourselves or do we just allow existing open spaces to naturally move towards a forest? Um, it's a it's a definitely a hot topic and people have very different views on it um, but but from a climate a local climate perspective uh, the effects are kind of the same but then there are all these issues around that like biodiversity etc of course one of the leaders as it were in uh, afforestation is China um, with the law that they introduced in 1981 are you familiar with this they introduced a law that every school child over the age of 11 would plant one tree per year. Wow. So this has led to a phenomenal afforestation there. In, in 2008, they had 47,000 square kilometres of afforestation, which is one and a half times the size of Belgium. Wow. So, <laughs> but this has actually not gone entirely according to plan because they've planted, they've made large areas of black locust plantations. And as it turns out, these are a lot thirstier than the grassland that they've replaced. So for example, the um, annual rainfall in this region, 92% of it is now used for biomass growth. So effectively, the trees are absorbing 92% of the annual rainfall in this area, leaving only 88% for humans, which specifically is like, for rivers, lakes, um, water table recharge. And basically this whole area is drying out because you've got the trees and they're just absorbing all of the water. And mm. it's the bulk of China's um, afforestation effort is, is these black lotus plantations. Yeah, this is a, a major problem that needs to be considered very carefully. What sort of, if you are going to alter the land surface in this way, exactly what sort of species of tree are you going to use and what are the knock-on effects of that, you know? Um, these kind of issues, they're important, right? As we said, this whole topic of afforestation, one needs to consider all the costs and benefits of it, you know? For example, how is it going to affect the water resources? How is it going to affect the local climate? How does it affect biodiversity? How does it affect uh, recreational use? How do people use forests and these spaces and stuff? So all of these things have to be considered together when making these kind of policies. Unfortunately, time is running out. 
not only for humanity to act in the face of climate change, but also for our show today. We'd like to thank our guest, Priscilla Mooney, for talking with us. You're very welcome. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll tune in again for the next exciting instalment of the Bjergnes podcast. From myself, Stephen Alton, and my colleague, Ingil Pilskog, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. You have now been listening to a podcast from the Bjergnes Center for Climate Research. The center is a collaboration between the University of Bergen, Norwegian Research Center NORS, the Nansen Environmental and Remote Sensing Center, and Institute of Marine Research, IMR. The music is from Lee Roserer, Arcade Montage, BY 3.0. The recording was done at UIB Læringslaben at Media City Bergen. This podcast is produced by me, Ingel Pilskog, Associate Professor at the Western Norway University of Applied Sciences.